In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. An alarming thing happened in my presence a few days ago. I was coming back from Vienna, not sure what took me there, but I was returning by 123 and was cresting the bridge that um, comes up then on International Drive where you would turn right for Tyson's or left for Tyson's too as you're headed back in this direction. There were no lanes in the left turn lane towards Tyson's Galleria, and I was intending just to continue straight through the intersection down the hill and, um, and back home. Noticed a beggar over at the median at the top of the left turn lane at the stoplight, which was unusual enough at that particular intersection. So I pulled over to the left and went up. It was a red light for the turn, so I had a few moments to speak to him. And I had a recently replenished collection of $10 McDonald's gift cards, and so we were able to um, interact for for a few brief moments. He he could barely walk, um, he could barely see. I even had to explain to him what the card was that I was giving him. And just as that is concluding, a, a Fairfax County police car pulled up right behind him, so facing me on the other side of the median. And I told the beggar, looks like you have company. And I didn't want him to be alarmed by a police officer coming up from behind him. Unbeknownst to me, there was a police car that had pulled up right behind me with lights flashing, and that police officer was walking alongside of my truck towards the front of the same gentleman. And it all happened um, relatively, relatively quickly that the one police officer turned him around and keeping him at a distance, treated him as someone potentially quite hostile and asked him repeatedly, do you have a knife on you? Do you have a knife on you? And the, and the man insisted that he, he didn't have a knife on him, but the police officer insisted that, that the man kneel down and that the man then lie down and put his hands behind his back, and then he was handcuffed. And meanwhile, I'm I'm... I'm just sitting there, just watching all this right a few feet away. And, and obviously it's unpleasant, but at the same time, I have no idea what's going on. As they are talking more, they're not really shouting, but they're talking loudly. The, the old man uh, asked the police officer, or said, that, said to the police officer, my wife called me in, didn't she? She's over there in the parking lot. And so at that point, I realized that this was even that much more complicated than I could imagine. And the, I could hear the police officer on the radio call to another cruiser to go to that parking lot, find said woman, and find out what was going on. And as again, as much as it was unpleasant, as much as it was disturbing to see a crippled man handcuffed face to the pavement, it was clear that there was going to be a reasonable outcome. I didn't have to intervene. I didn't have to try to prevent anything from happening. I didn't need to question the police officers and the discharge of their duties. But it was still unpleasant. And I, mind you, I have a friend who was killed by a 
Fairfax County police officer years ago whose firearm discharged at the, at the very least negligently. So I don't have a love affair with the Fairfax County Police Department, but I trust the vast majority of them to do their jobs. And in this particular case, my prudential decision was, it seems like they're going to take care of things reasonably well. I don't need to object to what they're doing or how they're doing it. Now, mind you, I could have been wrong. My prudential judgment might not have been accurate. It's based on the information that I can glean from what people are saying and trying to fill in the blanks and also discern who's trustworthy and who's not. But their basic fundamental principle is that obviously need to be governing our interactions with others, namely respect and love. And so far as I could tell, that was operative. Was it necessary for the man to be handcuffed? No. But was it reasonable for him to be treated as potentially quite hostile? Yes. Was he being detained temporarily? Yes. Did that violate his human rights? No. Was it pleasant? Absolutely not. As, as Americans and also as Catholics, for good reason, we are hardwired to root for the underdog. It's not a bad thing. It's part of the reason why every civilized person roots against the New England Patriots <laughs> or the Crimson Tide, which is fine. I hope one day my football teams are so good that you despise them for the same reason. We're also hardwired for justice at the same time. Which is why when a wicked person in your office gets fired, you're happy. And then you go to confession because you feel guilty for being happy. But that's where we need to separate a little bit our feelings from our principles. We don't necessarily need to gloat in the punishment of the wicked, but we should expect to feel some kind of satisfaction because it ought to happen. And so in the confessional, we can tease out what's, what's reasonable and what's unreasonable, what's charitable and what's uncharitable. Just because you're your feelings are unpleasant doesn't mean that something bad has transpired. But they might. When sacred scripture makes it very clear that love is fulfilling the law, that love of our neighbor works no evil, and that we love our neighbors, ourselves, we have been given a high standard that's even been surpassed in the New Testament, in the Gospels, when our Lord teaches us to love one another as he loves us. And that love of neighbor 
sometimes drives us to protest the actions of the government, as we did on Friday in great number. It was very edifying to see so many parishioners, whether they be coming with us on the parish bus or by their own means, by metro. Providentially, so many of us actually found each other with the help of a a brand new banner, which actually caught the attention of the evening news. And then there were so many others whom we knew were there by text message and by other means. It's a clear example of how there among Christians, among people of goodwill, must be unanimity. That the deliberate killing of innocent human beings must be prevented. It may never enjoy the sanction of law. Two days ago was a moment, among other moments, for people to realize that there is no reason to apologize for that. By the same token, what happened the next day, yesterday, in the president's executive orders will be a situation that I hope inspires vehement argument among parishioners. Let me tell you a story about my first year in the seminary. Some of you have heard this already, so you can bear with me. You don't have to cover their ears if you're young children, don't worry. In my first year in seminary, we were forbidden from kneeling during the Eucharistic prayer. We must remain standing. Now, needless to say, some of us took it upon ourselves to object publicly and debate the faculty and set in motion a review of the house policy that then was overturned at the end of the year. Meanwhile, we complied with the insanity of it. There were a good number of us who were on the side of the angels. And there was almost an equal number of seminarians who opposed us, who insisted that standing somehow is the the gesture of the resurrection and that therefore it's most proper to stand at said moment. I didn't even mind that because they had a reason and they were willing to argue. The group that none of us had respect for were the seminarians in the middle who just didn't really care one way or the other. They just wanted us all to agree. The willingness to argue means you care. The fact that you love something, love someone, means that at times you'll get angry. Now, as Catholics, we're also hardwired to take into consideration the statements of the Holy Father, and for very good reason. It should be even that much more important that we form our conscience based on the timeless teaching of the church. That then can help us discern when the Pope is speaking 
doctrinally and when he's just simply thinking out loud as people tend to do. So it's not been surprising that over the last few hours, beginning yesterday, there have been a number of people who have asked me about these new restrictions on immigration, refugees, migrants, with the added question, what did the Pope really say, or what's the Pope's statement on this? And while that's interesting, what's determinative is the teaching of the church. That doesn't fit into a tweet, and it doesn't fit even into a good Facebook message. You need about 13 pages to be able to pull from the catechism everything that's pertinent. I'll only read to you a little bit of it. Paragraph 2237. The political rights attached to citizenship can and should be granted according to the requirements of the common good. They cannot be suspended by public authorities without legitimate and proportionate reasons. Political rights are meant to be exercised for the common good of the nation and the human community. Paragraph 2241. The more prosperous nations are obliged to the extent they are able to welcome the foreigner in search of the security and the means of livelihood which he cannot find in his country of origin. Public authority should see to it that the natural right is respected that places a guest under the protection of those who receive him. Political authorities, for the sake of the common good for which they are responsible, may make the exercise of the right to immigrate subject to various juridical conditions, especially with regard to the immigrants' duties toward their country of adoption. Immigrants are obliged to respect with gratitude the material and spiritual heritage of the country that receives them, to obey its laws, and to assist in carrying civic burdens. With regard to the churches even speaking about such matters, instead of, instead of being dismissive of those shepherds who dare to speak about it, because we'll certainly want the shepherds who agree with us to speak about it, be consistent. Paragraph 2246. It is a part of the church's mission to pass moral judgments, even in matters related to politics, whenever the fundamental rights of man or the salvation of souls requires it. The means, the only means she may use, are those which are in accord with the gospel and the welfare of all men according to the diversity of times and circumstances. Public authorities in this case, paragraph 2310, have the right and duty to impose on citizens the obligations necessary for national defense. Grave nations have a great, rich nations have a grave moral responsibility toward those which are unable to ensure the means of their development by themselves or have been prevented from doing so by tragic historical events. Paragraph 2439. And then lastly, on your role compared to my role, paragraph 2442. It is not the role of the pastors of the church to intervene directly in the political structuring and organization of social life. This task is part of the vocation of the lay faithful, acting on their own initiative with their fellow citizens. Social action can assume various concrete forms. It should have always the common good in view and be in conformity with the message of the gospel and the teaching of the church. 
It is the role of the laity to animate temporal realities with Christian commitment by which they show that they are witnesses and agents of peace and justice. What is the direct role of pastors employing all of these principles? Well, pastors have to decide whom and whom not to banish from their parish property. The analogy fits fairly well. Most, Many pastors, I can't say most because I haven't spoken to most pastors about this, but the pastors with whom I have spoken have had to banish people from every parish to in which they've ever been the pastor. Now, I was only at St. Isidore for seven months. I didn't even get a chance to banish anybody. And again, there's only 400 people who belong to St. Isidore. But it's very complicated because you want to be helpful. You want to give people a second chance. St. James had a situation brewing over the last few months where a family was permitted to sleep in the back pew. And that was compassionate until the point where it became actually a perpetuation of the problem. And then the, the county is called in. My brother had to call the cops on a beggar last week at his parish. The person had been permitted to be there, and then when he became violent, then obviously he has to go. Just yesterday, the auxiliary bishop of Newark was assaulted at the altar while he was celebrating Mass. Now that begs the question, what were the men of the cathedral doing as they watched someone walk up the aisle, walk into the sanctuary, walk up the steps, and then punch the bishop at the altar. These are all prudential judgments. Sometimes we get them right. Sometimes we get them wrong. What's most critical is that love of neighbor and love of enemy is operative. But that also means loving everybody to provide for everyone's common good, not just love of that one particular person for whom I have special sympathy at this moment. And even if that sympathy is well, well deserved. And so there will be some matters about which the Christian people will have absolute unanimity and ought to. And there are going to be some times when we are unanimous in our principles, but in conflict over how to apply those principles. That's where we have to go back to the confessional because it can't be a question of my feeling. It has to be a question of my principles. Because I may be doing the right thing, but my feelings don't like what's happening. By the same token, I may feel convicted about something, but know that I can't speak to people who have suffered from the scourge of abortion in a way that I think about it. I may be careful about how I speak of it when I'm in a room full of people, the majority of whom have probably been through the horror of an abortion. By the same token, when I speak of these principles governing receiving nations and immigrants, I'll probably choose my words carefully when I know I'm talking to someone who's personally affected by it. It doesn't mean they're bullying me. It doesn't mean that my hands are tied behind my back. 
means I love that person and I care about that person even when I disagree with them. And so as your pastor, I hope on Friday, we're absolutely of one mind. When it comes to Saturday, I hope that you care enough that you know what's going on and that you are willing to argue, even among each other. The task then is for us to pray to God, to realize that what is the first and last principle that governs our actions? The salvation of souls. That's ultimately what matters. Factoring in then that what people do and how they do it affects their salvation. And their actions affect other people's struggle for salvation too. We prayed at the beginning of Holy Mass. O God, who knows us to be set in the midst of so great dangers that by reason of the frailty of our nature we cannot stand fast, grant us health of mind and body, that what we suffer for our sins we may overcome by thy help. And so we we strive then to have a clean conscience, to love our neighbor and to love our enemy, and to even love the person when we don't know. Does he have good will for me or bad? And sometimes it'll be very difficult to, to have good will when we're in difficult situations. We'll resolve that in the confessional. And there will be times when we have good will in difficult situations, doing unpleasant things, and other people won't be able to know that we have good will, in which case we'll just simply suffer being misunderstood. Either way, we grapple with our sinfulness, and we pray that the Lord not only give us charity, but also wisdom to know how to put the truth into action. And so we pray to the Holy Spirit, breathe in us, O Holy Spirit, that all our thoughts may be holy. Act in us, O Holy Spirit, that all our work too may be holy. Draw our hearts, O Holy Spirit, that we love but what is holy. Strengthen us, O Holy Spirit, to defend all that is holy. Guard us then, O Holy Spirit, that we always may be holy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.